hello panel. Thanks for seeing me today. I'd like to pitch you The Graduate. Highly educated, motivated and full of potential. The Graduate is enthusiastic, eager to learn and keen to progress and develop their skills in your business. For that reason, I'm out. Hello, Happy New Year and welcome not to Dragon's Den but to Careers Talk. I'm Kerry Eustace. If you're having trouble pitching yourself to employers or you've ever been in an interview that felt a bit too much like being grilled on Dragon's Den, this week's podcast has some advice worth investing some time in. We get Dragon entrepreneur and expert recruiter James Kahn to spill his career secrets and reveal what successful candidates have in common. The toughest interview that I've probably done is my interview at Dragon's Den because most of my life I've been you know, essentially running my own business and working for myself. You know, it was something I'd never done before. Plus, some motivational words in Dear Julian, and we've got some how to break into radio advice from the likes of Radio 1 DJ Hugh Stevens. But first, hello to Harriet Minter and Alison White, who are here to talk work experience, sponsored degrees, and extreme dedication in jobs in the News Roundup. Hello, both. Hello. Happy hello. New Year. Yay, welcome I haven't seen you before this, but you know. <laughs> um, Ali, do you want to kick off with your story? Sure. Um, this is the news that students are unlikely to secure graduate jobs without first completing work experience, according to High Flyers Research. And they found that at least half of Britain's biggest employers are reporting a surge in the number of applications being submitted for skilled jobs. But the study has warned that competition is now so fierce that the companies are refusing to, conser- to consider graduates, even the very brightest, unless they've completed relevant work experience. And what's really interested is an estimated third of this year's vacancies will be filled with um, applicants who have already worked for their employer as an undergraduate. Wow, that is- yeah, so it seems like um, you really have to put the legwork in while you're at university. I think the study points out, even if you're really bright, it's the actual work experience and experience in the workplace they want to see. And it's a, it was researchers surveyed 100 leading graduate employers, including the civil service, KPMG, Marks and Spencers, um, PricewaterhouseCoopers and Tesco. So the companies lots of people want to work for. So it seems that you really need to get relevant work experience to stand out. And an existing connection with an employer mm. is, is more important. I think that's the most interesting part Definitely. of that story is, you you know, sort of going cold and not met anybody or having any sort of relationship is is going to put you at a disadvantage. Actually, my story ties into that a little bit. Um, There's been lots of talk about sponsored degrees in the news. And um, I picked out a comment piece on the Guardian's law section, and the headline is, Sponsored degrees may only churn out corporate clones. And this was by Alex Aldridge, who is a contributing editor to Legal Week. And it comes after the news that KPMG has announced that it's going to sponsor 75 students' degrees. Um, So they'll pay for their fees, they offer them a part-time job, and then they get a job at KPMG at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So they'll get a salary as well while they're at university for the time that they spend, and, you know, they'll just be getting the support and the training to join the company. Um, it's quite similar to what happens in law, I think, Harriet. You know a lot about it this. It is. And, and this is a really standard practice in law, not so much for your law degree, but for the training you have to do afterwards to become a solicitor. You have to do a minimum of another year's study, and it's really common for um, law firms to sponsor you through that. So you'll get a stipend and they'll pay your fees. And actually what's becoming more common is that law firms are now setting their own courses So you'd still go to the same law school as everyone else, but if you're working for a particular firm, you'll only learn the stuff that's on their syllabus, which is 
great for the firm, but maybe not so great for you and your career development because you are becoming exceptionally niche very early on in your career. Yeah, well, this is one of the points that Alex makes and sort of KPMG is joining, I think, um, Morrison's, Tesco's Mm. and Harrods are all sort of sponsoring um, graduates going forward. And I suppose a positive is, is that private organisations are starting to absorb some of the the fee hikes that are going to be hitting Mm. students. But one of the negatives is, is that students are going to be, you know, very niche and also how it's going to affect their experience and their of university and learning as a whole um, and Alex kind of says it's kind of the stuff on the periphery that kind of shapes you and who you become and the career choices that you make so, so I suppose the, it is quite limiting and his point that we're going to be sort of creating corporate clones that you know you're going to fit in that company but what is your scope going to be for mm-hmm. you know another employer if you if you decide it's not for you or you want to progress beyond that. And I think just on that as well I would say read the small print before you sign up for it because the likelihood is that if you get to this job and decide after six months that it's not for you and you don't want to be doing it, there's going to be something in there about you repaying those fees. Mm. Mm. And also, I think we're going to see a lot more of d- debate around sort of career choices and the impact that the fee hike is mm. going to have on recruitment. So it's quite interesting space, really. Mm. Well, mine's a bit more relaxed, not quite such a big issue. We're looking this mm. week at the, I'm sure you've seen in the news, the undercover policeman who yes. was working with the activists and kind of went native <laughs> and, and is kind of accused of slightly bringing down the entire investigation. So there's been an article about showing extreme dedication to your job because one of the things he did, obviously, is he basically took on this lifestyle and he got tattoos and he lived with these activists. He had a relationship with one of them and he became part of them. And it's looking at actually how far you have to go for your job. Obviously, this is a really extreme example and most people won't be required to go (laughs) undercover for their careers. Um, But there are other things. They're looking at, um, there's an article about working 70-hour weeks and how this is becoming more and more common. There's one guy who had been living in his flat for two years and his entire furniture consisted of a mattress because he wasn't at home enough to have anything else delivered. Um, so my kind of tip for this week is actually looking at where you want your career to go and how much of a work-life balance you have because I think when you're kind of just started I guess I'm going to dedicate everything to this and I'm going to be in the office 12 hours a day and it's going to be fantastic but actually it's not the whole point of working is to get a salary so you can do other things outside of your job and you've really got to remember that going in Sadly, we couldn't rope one of our star radio Q&A panellists in for this week's Job Stop 10. Far better than that, we've got Charlie Frame from Guardian Jobs here to help Ali reveal the chart. In at 10, recruitment agency Meet the Real Me is looking for a conference producer. Graduate Fast Track needs top candidates for financial recruitment roles at 9. At 8, contemporary dance venue Laban has a paid graduate internship at its health centre. It's a volunteer fundraising assistant for the British Lung Foundation at seven. Two graduate trainee posts at Chilton Open Air Museum enter the chart at six. Middle of the chart at five, an engineer placement via graduate step. At four, Atwood Tate has two junior editor posts at an educational publisher in Lebanon. A Cardiff-based managed service provider is offering a computer science placement at three. Two is a sponsorship assistant for the British Fashion Council. But this week's chart topper is an assistant curator traineeship at Tate St Ives. 
before we move on to some much needed Julian time, um, Ali, can you tell us a bit about this week's Radio Careers Q&A? It was loads of great panellists and really busy, wasn't it? It was fantastic, yes. As you've already mentioned, we had Hugh Stevens from Radio 1, who was fantastic. And we also had Mike Vitti from Jazz FM, James Max, you might remember from The Apprentice, now on LBC. (laughs) And then people from BBC Six Music, Radio 5 and Smooth Radio. So... Yeah, fantastic response. I've just picked out a few highlights, but I like this one particularly because it says, do something to get noticed, but be sensible about it. And one, um, I think it was Mike Vitti said, someone had sent him a demo in a polythene bag, but in the bag as well was a piece of buttered toast. <laughs> and he said it was a complete mess. It just went in the bin. <laughs> so he said, be noticed for what you say and how you present it, not silly gimmicks. And as well, if you're trying to break into radio, all experience will help. So there's some interesting avenues that I'd never thought of, like hospital radio, I know, is one that a lot of people use to get work experience and community radio. But then um, they said, look for places that have restricted service licenses, like Wimbledon when the tennis is on, because that might be a good way in. And then also in-store radio, like stations for supermarkets, high streets, uh, stores and motorway services. Which I didn't realise. I have listened to New Look FM. That's the only one because Scott Mills does a bit on it. <laughs> but yeah, so I'll keep listening out now for those radio stations. And then it says as well, if you're looking to, uh, if someone's hiring for a particular role, they want to hear you doing that particular role, basically. So if you're doing a show reel, try and listen to the station you're applying for. So you have some thought about that output and station style and perhaps produce a small piece in the style of, of that radio station for every time rather than just sending out a generic demo tape I'd imagine so yeah fascinating discussion now don't wait for the career to come to you make 2011 the year you go out and bag a dream job for yourself more like this in Dear Julian well happy new year everybody it's a really good time of year for thinking about your career obviously you kind of had a few days off you got the whole year to look ahead so I would use this time to make some career resolutions, to think what it is that you really want to achieve. And you know what? Everything is doable, but you've got to get off your backside and actually take action. You can't just write a list in your jotter and then expect it to come true. So make your number one resolution to actually do these resolutions. So think about where you'd like to be at the end of this year. Be realistic and then make it happen now. Send emails write letters, knock on doors, make phone calls, but do it. Because if you don't, you're going to be sat in the same place that you were this time last year. So several years ago, I made the resolution that I wanted to step up my career. So I've been doing very well in the company that I worked for, but I wanted to go and work for another company because there were much better opportunities there. And so having made that resolution, I then put it into action by not emailing, well, mainly because email hadn't been invented back then, not writing, but picking up the telephone and calling the editorial director who worked for the company, introducing myself and just saying, I'd love to meet you for a cup of coffee if you have five minutes. I'll come and meet you. I can come to the building. I can meet you anywhere you like, whatever's easiest for you. And it worked because as a result of that meeting, I then got a new job in that company a few weeks later. Had I not made that phone call, I might still be working where I was you know, then. So it's 2011 now. There are exciting things happening. There is growth. It's small and it's slow, but there are green shoots that are popping through. So feel inspired and make 2011 the year that you do something that changes your career. Don't sit back and wait for your career to come to you. Go out and get it yourself. 
some go-getting advice from Julian Lindley, Creative Director at Bauer. After 30 years in recruitment and three years on Dragon's Den, our next guest knows a thing or two about what it takes to stand out and succeed. Entrepreneur James I'm In Khan has compiled some of that experience and expertise into his new book, Get the Job You Really Want. And earlier this week, I caught up with him to talk winning candidates, uh, beards, and what his next career step will be now he's leaving Dragon's Den. I've been working on the book for most of 2010, and what really inspired me to write the book is I felt that in the current economic climate, the whole kind of space for graduate employment has been so challenging and really difficult. Um, unemployment in the kind of graduate space currently is running at nearly 20%. Mm. Um, and what I've done is I've kind of spent most of last year going through my own personal journey of having been in the recruitment industry for nearly 30 years. So everything that I've come across, I've really encapsulated in the book to make it a very comprehensive guide to enable young people to be to be given the best platform and the best opportunity to secure the job that they really want. Following on from that, I mean, people that are going for their first job, is it realistic to um, aim for a job that you really want? Should your first job be more of a stepping stone? What are your thoughts on that? Any job that you apply for must be something you really believe in. It must be something that's compatible to you. You know, what you don't want, you know, is a mark on your CV as something you haven't succeeded in. And I, I recognize that one has to be realistic, but try to ensure that any job that you go for is a job that you have every chance of succeeding in, whatever it may be. How do you think that you can assess that before applying? What's, what steps can you take? I mean, number one, I think if you want to work for an organization, there is so much information today that's available, both on their website, on Wikipedia, on Google. I think there is so much data that you can access in almost any organization today that, you know, you can put yourself in a position where you can be extremely well prepared. And I think there's absolutely nothing stopping you after the first interview to ask the organization, you know, would it be possible for me to come in and spend a morning you know, with some of the people in the organization or in the department that I'm going to be working with, you know, to get a feel. There's absolutely no reason you shouldn't be able to do that. That's an excellent tip. And that's not something I've ever heard before, which kind of leads me on to my next question. One of the points from the press release is that you ha you're going to explore in the book how to observe the masses and do the opposite. And that strikes me as something that is that fits into that. Can you elaborate a bit more on what you feel the masses do and what you can perhaps do to move away from, you know, the masses of job seekers? A couple of weeks ago, somebody in reception, my receptionist called me to say, James, I've got a letter addressed personal confidential to you. Do you want me to bring it up? And I opened it and it was a CV on somebody who was interested in working for us. Now, obviously, because it was only one CV, I read it. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, when you're reading through on the computer, you know, hundreds of them, you know, mentally, you're not concentrating as much as you would do if you had a hand printed. And of course, the CV was an excellent paper. It had a picture of the candidate. Now, to me, that that's kind of thinking outside the box. Another point that I wanted to explore more with you is about asking more questions than others will get you the right job. That's a line from the press release. Um, um, what sort of questions do you mean by that? Can you tell me a bit more? I mean, so for example, you know, somebody that I interviewed recently said to me, um, you know, really interested in the position. You know, can I ask you, can you tell me a bit about the person who was doing the job before me? And again, it completely threw me because I thought, what a great question. Yeah. And she said, what was it about that person that, that, that impressed you to offer them the position? 
the key point in the press release is that a lot of people, the masses assume that when you go for a job interview, it's all about the employer asking you the questions. Mm. And I think nothing better than, than employers love to see is you showing some initiative, you know, and asking a lot of good questions yourself. And you only do that generally if you've researched the subject very carefully. I'm quite interested in your anecdotes about the graduates that you've employed and interviewed. I mean, can you sort of describe like a re- an ideal candidate or any more anecdotes from someone that's impressed you? Um, I mean, I saw somebody the other day, actually, where one of my investment companies um, asked me to meet somebody that they were thinking of hiring. And it was a lady who came to see me and she came in, sat down and she said, oh, by the way, James, she says, on my way down, I picked up a brownie for you from Starbucks. And she took out this brownie and put it on my desk. And I mean, again, it completely threw me. And I thought, <laughs> where did that come from? And I couldn't believe it. I sat in the interview eating this brownie. <laughs> but it just broke the ice and it enabled us to have, you know, a bit more of a lighthearted conversation. It just showed me something about that person that was just a little bit unusual and a bit ballsy. And yeah, I just thought it was really good. Yeah, that's a really sweet thing to do. There was another story I wanted to ask you about, um, and it was in the New Statesman where you'd said that work experience should count towards degrees. You know, students getting extra marks for any work they did in that vein. I mean, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I mean, obviously you feel work experience is really important, but until a measure like that is introduced, what do you sort of feel graduates can do in the meantime to make the most of that, that work experience that they've done? I mean, the reason why I made that statement was because every student that we've had in who's done a year's placement with us have always said that the experience has been invaluable because at university they've been studying a lot of the theory, but the practical implementation of what they're learning within a real-life organization, you know, over a 12-month period, I think absolutely is invaluable. So to me, I'm a great believer that if you can create degrees rather than three-year degrees to do a four-year degree and have one year of that where you do a placement within an organization like a sandwich sandwich i think it's absolutely invaluable what about your career is there a job that you really wanted that you never got i mean i suppose for me the toughest interview that i've probably done is my interview at dragon's den Mm. um because most of my life i've been you know essentially running my own business and working for myself you know it was something i'd never done before so What did you do then to prepare for that? Um, I mean, for me, what was key was when they said, look, we'd like you to come along for the interview, um, I contacted their research department and said, could you send me a copy, you know, of the the last kind of two or three series that you've done? And literally, I'm not exaggerating, I sat there day after day watching (laughs) every single episode because I needed to understand the format of the show. I needed to concentrate on the type of questions the dragons asked. I needed to understand, you know, what the rules of the den were. You know, when somebody comes in, what are you allowed to offer? Now, if I hadn't have done my research, if I hadn't have watched, you know, those episodes, I probably would never have been as well prepared as I was. Yeah. You know, and then I did some role plays at home with my children <laughs> because sometimes people come up with ideas that frankly one of the toughest things in Dragon's Den is you're sitting there and somebody walks in with an idea that you've never heard of you you know it's a it's a concept mm. that's completely unfamiliar and the problem is how do you know what question to ask yeah you know so so I was sitting in my you know drawing room and my, my daughter would come up with an idea and say okay dad I've got an idea you know I want to do x what question would you ask me about that 
and you know trying to catch me up because obviously when you're on television it's really difficult mm. because you've got the camera facing you you've got a guy standing in front of you and you've got to ask a question about a business you know nothing about but you've got to think on your feet which obviously i think sometimes can be very challenging well i'm i'm glad that we've talked about the dragons because it's been in the news this week that you're leaving what's the next career step for you i mean have you got some new projects in line is it mainly working with the book what's your plan i mean I think for, for me right now, the key focus is I'm really excited. I'm really motivated about the book. Um, you know, it took me a long time to write it. It kind of represents my kind of 30 years in the recruitment industry. But obviously what Stepping Down from Dragons has created is a position where for the first time, you know, I need a job. Mm. So, you know, what, what I'm hoping for is that some of the listeners out there, you know, on this podcast and, and Guardian readers can maybe help me come up with an idea so you know what do your readers think i james khan from dragons then what should be my next job and what i'd love to do is hear from you know a lot of your readers as to what they think my job should be and certainly would love to hear from them on my twitter account which is james khan at twitter and anybody who comes up with an idea that they think could change my life then i'd love to give them a signed copy of the book and hopefully by reading my book you know i can influence their life too Thanks again to James Kahn. Before we dash off, here's what we've got coming up on the site next week. On Monday, we have careers and international development. Wednesday is using a recruitment consultant. Thursday, the 27th, is how to move into teaching. And that one's between 4 and 6 p.m., not our usual 1 to 4 p.m. And Friday, the 28th, is what does 2011 hold for IT professionals? That brings us to the end of the pod. Thanks to our guest James Kahn, to Julian Lindley, Charlie Frame from Guardian Jobs and the studio team Harriet Minter and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by Kate Taylor. I'm Kerry Eustace and I'm out. 